Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. So my topic today, and this ties into what I just said about the Holy Land, is change the atmosphere. Change the atmosphere. We have to acknowledge that God is our answer and our help for any struggle, any situation. And we need to step out in faith and engage the principles that are in God's word to bring the victory that we need for that struggle. So that's in essence a summary of what I want to share with you. And why do we need to know this? Because he's teaching us how to reign and rule because sometime soon we will reign with him and you will judge angels. Mm -hmm. So you got to judge situations, you got to overcome, you got to apply the principles of God's word because someday we're going to rule and reign with him and be the overcomers he's looking for. So the topic is change the atmosphere. Now atmosphere is the tone or mode or mood of a place or a situation. You ever been in a situation where a place where the atmosphere was oppressive? When I came into this atmosphere, it was peaceful. Atmosphere has a lot to do with how we live our life. It affects, especially the non-Christians. They get pushed around by every atmospheric climate and stuff and they get sucked into situations but those of us that are overcomers, we don't want to be pushed around by every wind of spirit or atmosphere or influence. We want to overcome. So you ever been in a place where it's dark or it just doesn't feel right? I have many times. Perhaps your inner atmosphere is oppressive or negative. Maybe you're, uh, you're an emotional state of fear, overwhelmed by depression or COVID. I got depressed during COVID. Couldn't travel, couldn't do what I was called to do. Had to go through all this testing and, and rules and regulations and I couldn't go to services and, and isolation. We're not made for isolation, we're made for family. And it was just very hard. Not as hard as some people went through it, but I, atmosphere affects us. Atmosphere sustained creates climate. Climate sustains creates culture. You know, families have cultures. Your home has a culture. This church family has a culture. The community has a culture. It's because of the atmosphere in the community, the attitude, the prevailing mood, the emotions, how everybody interacts with each other. Well, that continued creates a climate which creates a culture. So now it's entrenched and now it's a thing. So I want to tell you the story of a leader who needed an atmospheric change. <laughs> um, it's a biblical story that I told when I was in Israel on Mount Masada. And here's a picture, if it comes up, of me standing on this rock that comes out of the desert right next to the Dead Sea. I don't know if you can see the Dead Sea behind me. And it's the lowest place on the face of the earth. 
It's dead. Water flows in, but nothing flows out. And I stood there and told the story that I'm telling you. I shared with the saints there this phenomenon of the text I just read, how Elisha changed the atmosphere. And sometimes we, we may not be a prophet, we may not even be a leader, but we're a parent, yeah, we're a spouse. We need to know for ourselves as a believer how to change the atmosphere inside and outside. To not just be pushed around by the atmosphere. So important. So the context of this story is there's three armies that join forces and walk down the Red Sea, the Red Sea, the Dead Sea, and they were going to war against the Moabites. And it's really interesting because King Jeroboam, or, or Jehoram, sorry, Jehoram, king of Israel, was a wicked king. He reigned in Samaria. Israel was split. There was Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. And Jehoshaphat was king of the southern kingdom. Jehoram's parents were Ahab and Jezebel. Ay, 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 ay. Uh-oh, problems. So we find in 5 of 2 Kings 3, after Ahab's death, the king of Moab on the east side of the Dead Sea rebelled against Israel. Why did he rebel? He was required to pay 100,000 sheep in taxes every year. And he felt that was a bit exorbitant. He had to drive these sheep all the way up to Samaria and give them to the king, and he had enough of it. When Ahab died, he felt he was released. But look at this, verse 6. So King Jehoram promptly mustered the army of Israel and marched from Samaria. And on the way, he sent this message to King Jehoshaphat of Judah and said, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you join us in battle against him? And Jehoshaphat quickly replied, why, of course, you and I are as one. My troops are your troops and my horses are your horses. Now, let's look at this a minute because we've all done this. Jehoram, king of Israel, quickly without counsel or careful consideration gathered his army and hastily went to war. Not smart. Then as an afterthought, while on the way to battle, he said, oh, I should invite King Jehoshaphat to join me. But just before this, King Jehoshaphat was attacked by the Moabites. And you know the story. And the Ammonites. And God brought victory to them through a supernatural miracle where invisible angels ambushed these armies and totally kill them while they were just singing praises to God. Remember that story? The army was in the back, the singers were up front, and they marched toward the enemy. And, and we went to the place where that occurred, the Valley of Ziv, it's called, as they go up to Jerusalem. Well, Jehoshaphat knows praise and worship made the difference. He knew to sought God. He was so afraid in that moment that he fasted, he prayed, he cried out to God, don't kill us. 
and kill our nation. Help us, Lord. And the Spirit of God came upon Asaph, one of the worship team members, and he prophesied in a prophetic song, very possibly, Stand still, Jehoshaphat, and see the salvation of God, for I will fight for you, says the Lord. Now, he just went through that. But he quickly doesn't pray about it, doesn't seek God, just joins forces with this evil king, Israel. So Jehoshaphat hastily wishes to further demise the Moabites. He did not seek God. He did not seek a prophetic word, whether he should go or not. So then in verse 8, it says, Jehoshaphat said, What route will you take? Will we attack from the wilderness? We will attack from the wilderness of Edom, Jehoram replied. Now, since I've been to Israel and I found this map very uh, friendly, if you could put it up, guys, this uh, map, I want to show it to you. There it is. You see how where Samaria is up north? Well, this is where the king of Israel was. Ahab and Jezebel were very wicked. There was demon worship there. I mean, it was terrible. I'll tell you about it in a minute. They marched down to Jericho. You see that there? And then past Jerusalem along the Dead Sea, because this is the easiest route with the most water. They go past En Gedi, where David worshipped at the fountains there in Gedi and the river. And then down about where the H is in Judah. And that's where the fortress of Masada was that I was standing. And the Dead Sea is right there. Well, they marched. They joined Judah, Jehoshaphat's army at that point. They marched down the Dead Sea and back up, and they enlisted the help of Edom because they were going through their country. So come join us as we fight the Moabites. Well, right there between, whoops, gone. Right there between Moab and Edom on the border, the southern part of the, of the Dead Sea, was a river. And they planned on refreshing their animals there. It was, they hadn't been marching seven days. Now, when you take an army of I don't know, hundreds of thousands, you got to take, you don't have coolers, so you got to take your meat on the hoof, uh, and I don't know what they did with the fish. They have to, well, they didn't fish because there's no dead, the Dead Sea was dead. So everything's on the hoof, your, your sheep and everything that you need, even your musicians. Think about it. They didn't have Walkmans and iPhones and stuff. So the king always had to have comforts. So he brought his musicians, he brought his chefs, he brought all of his comforts with him. The fan, the fan guys, you know, that, you know, it's hot, you know, all the things he needed. So they get there and we'll continue reading verse nine. The king of Edom and his troops joined them and all three armies traveled around about the route through the wilderness for seven days. But there was no water for the men or their animals. The kings had planned to replenish their water supply there. But it was dry because of lack of rain that year. So this is what happens. I'm going to pause here. This is what happens when we go ahead with our hurried plans. Mm -hmm, and we don't bring God into the picture. We don't consult him about our business about church direction, about our family. We don't have a vision retreat and seek God on what we need to do this next year. Where we go on vacation? You ever been stuck in some weird country? Kimberly's father did. Mm -hmm. 
and he got separated from his wife and it was a weird story. He had no money in his pocket. He was in Turkey. Yeah, see, a weird country. Well, they don't speak your language and you get these, yourself in these situations when you go out and make rash decisions. So we don't know the nuances of what's ahead in our life. So we have to walk with God. Don't get ahead of him. Walk with God. So this is one of the principles I want to leave with you today. So verse 10 says, what should we do? This is what the king of Israel cried out. The Lord has brought the three of us here to let the king of Moab defeat us. Lie. God had nothing to do with the situation. He's trying to manipulate the king Jehoshaphat. The evil king Jehoram blames God for his hurried plan. God brought us here, what, to kill us? That's what people that don't walk with God talk like. They talk negative. What, 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 what? God caused that accident? You know, God did this, God did that, uh-uh. You're under the curse, the land is cursed, the atmosphere is cursed, the prince power of the air, God says in his word, rules over the earth. So there's principalities and powers. And then the law of sin works in you where you want to do bad. So to be an overcomer, you got to overcome all this stuff as a Christian, as a believer. <clears throat> Verse 11, but King Jehoshaphat of Judah asked, hmm, is there not a prophet around here who can give us what the Lord says? If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through him. Now, King Jehoshaphat's coming to his spiritual senses. He's thinking about God. Oh, we're in a tough situation. He's the most spiritual of the bunch because he's the only one that has relationship with God and he's the only one that's a worshiper. So he finally says, well, uh, uh, let's get a prophetic word. Let's go, let's go get, let's get the worship team together. Let's, let's seek God here. Let's go to life fellowship and get a word. One of the, verse 11, second part, one of the King Jehoram's officers replied, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. He used to be Elisha's personal assistant, Elijah's personal assistant. Verse 12. So Jehoshaphat said, yes, the Lord speaks through him. So the king of Israel, the king Jehoshaphat of Judah, and the king of Edom went to consult Elisha. Now, scholars don't know where Elisha was because he lived up in the northern part of Israel. But they believe that he had a sense that God wanted to use him, and so he migrated down in that region. Another theory is that he was part of the entourage of King Jehoshaphat's army. Now, he wasn't enlisted in the army, but like they brought their musicians, they brought their prophets, especially a, a spiritual leader like Jehoshaphat who wanted to uh, know God, seek God, be close to God, and lead his people well. But Jehoshaphat didn't know that he was in his entourage because the kings camped up on the hill usually at night and the rest of the armies and the entourage were down below and you don't know who's all there. That's the theory. So they said these three kings went down to talk to Elisha. And here's an interesting thought. Verse 13. Why are you coming to me? Elisha asked the king of Israel, go to your pagan prophets of your father and mother Ahab and Jezebel. This man of God was irate, very upset. 
at the presence of Jehoram, the king of Israel. But the king of Israel said, no, for it is the Lord who called us three kings from Oriantar. No. Only to be defeated by the king of Moab. See, he's trying to manipulate the situation. That's what evil does. He's lying. God had nothing to do with this. Now let's pause here a minute and talk about his parents because he's bringing this spirit into the atmosphere. His parents were King Ahab of Israel and Queen Jezebel, terrible people. When Jezebel married Ahab, she influenced the worship of Baal and she uh, encouraged it. She promoted the killing of children, infants, in worship of these demon gods, newborns. They encouraged Israel to burn their babies in the fire. And he made this worship of Baal and Asherah acceptable in Israel. They made evil culturally accepted. Sound familiar? They allowed it. But it takes men and women of God to stand up and say, no, this is not right. And, and for politicians and leaders of influence and parents to explain to their children, this is not right because it needs to be said outwardly because the word of God is strong and powerful. And if we don't hear it, we don't have faith to believe it. It's more than just a post on social media. There's a whole teaching on that. But if it's not said out loud, it's not a thing. There's so much in the Bible about how you have to declare the word of God out loud, have to pray out loud, how you have to praise out loud and not in your heart. It, it, it's a principle. And pro prophecy is not in your heart, it's out loud. All these things are God's power tools. Like uh, one brother said, I don't know if his name is Steve, he says, I got my sword of the spirit. Hey Steve, uh, the brother here at the hat. What's your name, sir? Bob. Joe. Bobby Joe. Bob and Joe. <laughs> he said, he, I am my sword of the spirit. You see, and what that is, it comes out of your mouth. It's not a thing you think or something you post or say in your heart. So there's a powerful principle here. Now, Jezebel was power hungry. She was an angry woman who sought to destroy all those who questioned her. Again, sound familiar? And she uh, had most of Yahweh's prophets, God's prophets murdered. Her evil actions motivated the righteous vengeance of Elijah, the mentor to Elisha. And the Bible says that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that went before him. Made God mad. Yeah, God gets angry. He does. That's one of his characters. So he was the worst king the northern kingdom have ever, ever knew or ever saw. He, he was passive. He would sulk when he didn't get his way, blaming other people and calling them revolutionaries when they opposed his actions. He made up accusations about them. Jezebel was the power behind the throne. In 2 Kings 21, pardon me, 1 Kings 21, it says, therefore, there was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. She was crafty, she was malicious, she was vengeful, she was cruel, 
she was the first great instigator of persecution against the people of God. I never knew all this, but in studying for this message, I began to realize how serious this situation is. She was passionate about the worship of her Canaanite gods. She spared nothing to maintain her idolatry. 450 demon-possessed prophets served Baal. And I call them demon-possessed because it's not normal behavior for a human to burn a baby, your baby. That is not average normal in the psyche of the average human. It's against our biology, it's against our nature, even if you're saved or unsaved, doesn't matter. So there's another influence behind this, causing these people to act inhuman or inhumane. So I call them demon-possessed prophets under the supervision of her, Jezebel, which ate at her table. There's another 400 that worshiped um, Asherah. And there was spiritual worship that was full of debauchery and sensuality. This is disgusting. Now this is the backstory. Elisha continued the efforts of Elijah to end Baal worship, and that's why he was very upset. Three armies and livestock were out of water. It's a desperate situation. They needed direction and inspiration. It was life or death. And then Elisha says in verse 14, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, I wouldn't even bother with you except for my respect for King Jehoshaphat, the worshiper, the man of God. So Elisha's spirit was considerably irritated and grieved by the presence of the idolatrous King Jehoram, and he could hardly look at him. He was so bothered. Verse 15. But now, bring me a guitar player. That's what it means right here. It's, it's a player of a harp, the, the, the uh, forerunner to the guitar. Bring me a guitar player. Now, I can imagine some of these kings going, what? We don't need no half-baked musician. We don't need no creative person to get up in here. We just need a word from God. I mean, I am dying. Our cattle are staggering. They're falling over. We need a word. We don't need no music. But Elisha knew something. He knew something most people don't know. And it came about while the guitarist played the hand and power of the Lord came upon Elisha. I love it. I guess because I'm a guitar player. But I love the principle. I love the drama. I wouldn't see you. Oh, nasty, ugly. Oh, get out of my face. But now... Let's change the atmosphere. Bring me a guitar player. Now, what did he know that we don't know? What does a guitar player have to do with this? Well, you see, Elisha and Elijah were the directors of the school of prophets. And in the school of prophets, it's the first worship team in the Bible, by the way. And you had to learn the word of God, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, memorize it. You had to learn music and you had to learn how to flow in the prophetic. And these guys would, would stroll around through the community, playing their instruments and prophesying, singing the word of God 
and changed the atmosphere. Miracles would happen when they did this. This is the first worship team in the Bible. And this is why God's going to give you, yes, yea, verily, a worship team that will be powerful and supernatural. And they will be able to create the atmosphere that you need so desperately. And that's why you gather. You don't stay at home and watch YouTube. That's what they say in Brazil. YouTube. We gather together to get in the atmosphere. Because the Bible says when you come together that Jesus joins us and he doesn't just join us, he joins us to sing praises to the Father amongst the brethren. Hebrews. He comes to sing. Now you don't get that online. You get that when you're in person with each other. Just a side note, just a thing. So these school of prophets were trained young men that uh, learned the word of God, they learned music, et cetera, et cetera. So Elisha knew this and he needed to get in the right frame of mind to hear God. So he knew that musician was the key and this musician was probably of the entourage of Jehoshaphat, the worshiper and this musician probably, I, I, I can't substantiate this, probably was a worshiper. Why? Because he changed the atmosphere and he inspired Elisha. Now if he was a sensual artist, or a foul, cussing musician, he wouldn't change the atmosphere. We know he changed the atmosphere because it says, and it happened. When the musician played. At the time, consequently, coincidentally, as a result of cause and effect, when the musician played the hand of God. Now this means the power of God, this means the favor of God, the authority of God came upon Elisha and he prophesied that this valley will no longer be dry, it'll be filled with pools of water, verse 16, verse 17, and you'll see neither wind nor rain, says the Lord, but there'll be plenty for yourselves and your cattle, verse 18, but this is only a simple thing for the Lord, for he will make you victorious over the army of Moab, and the next day about the time of the morning sacrifice, the time of worship, Water suddenly appeared. It was flowing from every direction of Eden, and soon there was water everywhere. And it's amazing. They saw the reflection of the sun, the Moabites, and they thought it was blood. They thought the enemy was defeated, so they rushed out to charge Israel, but they were ready for him. It's an interesting story, but I've reached my point, my conclusion here. I ask you a question. What did the musician play? Cover tunes from country radio? Oh, worship cover tunes from Bethel. I think he was a worshiper and he just played what was in his heart. Most of those musicians were spontaneous. They didn't play art. They just sang from their heart and played. And the atmosphere was changed. So there's three points in conclusion. The Lord is your salvation. The Lord is your help in difficult times. Never forget that. Don't turn to pills. Don't turn to other sources to get you out of the situation. Your own genius, friends counsel, seek the Lord. 
They were in a desperate situation. They needed the favor and authority of God to descend in that moment. And isn't God so gracious that even when they stepped out in their flesh, they all got in a hard situation, God freed them. But it took a man of God who knew the biblical principle of how to change the atmosphere. So that's my next point, number two. You're a thermometer, you're a thermostat, not a thermometer. Think about that. Thermometer says, oh, it's humid here. It's too hot. You ever know people that are just thermometers? They just read the atmosphere and broadcast it. They have no hope, they have no solution. They just tell you the state of mind, everything's in. Oh, America's going to the dogs. But you're not like that. You are a thermostat. You change the atmosphere. You know the principle, and I'm going to give you the principle here right next, because change the atmosphere with praise. It's God's way. Now, I, you know, I know some of you aren't musical. Some of you don't like to sing out loud. And by the way, I want to affirm you. You guys are really our worshipers because you sang to these videos that we watched exceptionally. You were all in. You were loud. You're, you don't care what you sound like. Amen. Praise God. You just went for it. Amen. That's a worshiper. So pat yourself on the back. God's very pleased with you for stepping out with no musicians and singing to videos and entering in. Powerful. Yeah, and God saw you at home too. Mm -hmm. But you know how to change the atmosphere, but I'm, hearing I'm here to tell you, use it because you will get in situations. It could be a deathbed of a loved one. It could be an accident on the highway. It could be your, your business is being destroyed. It could be a teenager rebelling. you got to change the atmosphere so that God has greater influence. God could come and his favor and hand could be upon you because the Bible says he is holy who is enthroned on the singing praises of his people. What that means is his government authority, his supreme power, it comes into that situation and he sits as king and judge. He's enthroned. He, the praise forms a throne for him to rule and he changes the atmosphere. Or you could just be a thermostat. I don't know. Life's hard. Whatever. Just overcome. Apply the principle I'm giving you today. Amen? Amen? Because God is inseparably joined to this kind of praise and where this is called Tehillah in the Bible or Tehillah. Just think of Tequila, Tehillah. Uh, this word in the Bible and it changes. God loves it. It's his favorite praise. And when you do it, you'll often find the miracles will happen. I've experienced it in Athens, Greece, Alaska, Argentina, Dubai, different places where we actually sang spontaneously this praise and miracles started happening. And if I had time, I'd tell you about a church in Oakland, California who had trouble with murder and gang violence. They were the center of a two mile radius of terrible, terrible violence. And the worship team went out on the street, they got a permit, did a block party, and they changed the atmosphere. So much so that we're on Good Morning America, and uh, the first President Bush gave them acknowledgments. Crime rate went down, the police said. You see the difference? This is not some ethereal spiritual thing. 
This is practical and real where the power of God changes our situation. Amen. Amen. So, Father, I just pray right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would make this real to each of us, that we would be thermostats and change the atmosphere and not be pushed around by every feeling, every spirit, every circumstance that arises around us. We are not going to be pushed around by the devil and demons and evil spirits and unclean spirits. We're not going to be pushed around by the prince power that rules over this area. But we are going to arise and change the atmosphere. So give us the faith. Bring it to our remembrance because we're frail in our memory to remember to use our weapons, this particular, in changing the atmosphere. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.